I grew up eating Jewish deli food at the Bagel Deli in Denver, Colorado, and I've always wondered why deli food is considered Jewish. I mean, it's not like back in the day Moses was baking rye bread and curing corned beef. So, where did this notion of the Jewish deli come from? How is it that a decidedly non-kosher sandwich featuring pastrami, coleslaw, Swiss cheese, and Russian dressing, which is the number 19 at Langer's, how is that considered Jewish? Also, which is the superior sandwich? Langer's number 19, or just a plain pastrami on rye? Well, on this episode of The Kibitz, part two of our three-part series on food, we'll find out the answers to all of these questions. I've got food trend expert and writer David Sachs, the owners of Langer's Deli, and fellow podcaster slash food blogger Zach Brooks, who conducted a very thorough podcaster versus podcaster sandwich throwdown with me at Langer's. The results may surprise you. So, put on your lobster bib and hold the mayo for this nosherific episode of The Kibitz. David Sachs is a freelance writer specializing in business and food. His writing appears regularly in the New York Times, Bloomberg Businessweek, Savour, The Grid Toronto, and other publications. He is the author of Save the Deli, In Search of Perfect Pastrami, Krusty Rye, and the Heart of Jewish Delicatessen. And he's won a James Beard Award for writing and literature. He lives in Toronto, so I interviewed him by phone. Here's David. Welcome to the Kibitz, David Sachs. We're excited to have you here. You're sort of an expert on on food and, in particular, Jewish deli food. So, how like how did you become an expert on on Jewish deli food? I, I wrote a book on it. Yeah. And so when you write a book on anything, you become the expert. <laughs> uh, you know, it, <laughs> I was like many of the Kibitz listeners, just your average North American Jewish kid who went for deli on a regular basis with his family, um, and it was always something that we. You know, cherished. It was it was a weekly part of our eating ritual, like the Chinese restaurant on Sunday. Um, when I was in university, I wrote a paper for a Jewish sociology class about the Jewish deli, and uh, you know what I was hearing from the deli owners was that it is really a, a disappearing and dying institution at the time. Uh, and so this kind of started me on a journey that led to this book. Uh, and then when I wrote the book, you know, just by virtue of doing two years worth of research and visiting, I think it was something like 200 delis, not just around North America, but around the world, uh, I became the expert on Jewish delicatessen. Wow. And so what was the, what was sort of the most surprising thing that you found out in, in all of that uh, research? I think it was how much the Jewish delicatessen experience uh, is shaped by the circumstances of those particular communities. So, you know, we tend to think of the North American or the New York style Jewish deli as, you know, a fully formed thing that arrived from Europe. But in reality, you know, each community's deli, even within North America, um, the taste, the dishes, the layout, the atmosphere really is shaped by sort of the way that those individual communities evolved, whether it was demographics, whether it's economic circumstances, whether it's a climate, um, whether it's real estate prices. And so, you know, all of that leads to the fact that, you know, it's not just one deli. Uh, there are multiple delis. There are multiple deli scenes and deli cultures around um, 
the world wherever Ashkenazi Jews are living or have lived. And and what did you really find out about the kind of the origins of that? I mean, does it all come from just Eastern European uh, style food, or what? What makes it particularly Jewish? Do you think? Well, yeah, I, I think it would, you know the origins are in in the the food of the Ashkenazi diaspora uh, in in Eastern Europe, which again spans you know a tremendous geographic historical cultural and ethnic framework, right? The, the food in those communities was the kosherized version of the local cuisine, right? The, the kishka that we know today is sort of like the kosher version of Polish kishki blood sausage. Um, uh, and so over time, as different groups of Eastern European Jews fled persecution or looked for better economic circumstances, in places ranging from you know, the United States, Canada, Australia, Israel, um, England, France, and, and, and you know even Argentina and Brazil, uh, when they went there, they um, coalesced with Jews from other Eastern European communities. The Litvaks and the Poles and the Galicianers and, um, and the Russian Jews all were living together, where before they were separated by hundreds of thousands of miles because um, they lived in different countries. And so their cuisine started blending together, whereas maybe in that first generation of uh, Eastern European Jewish delicatessens, it was kind of the Romanian deli and the Polish deli and the Litvak deli. All of a sudden, it just became the Jewish deli. Um, and with each successive generation, that food coalesced into its own kind of cuisine, which by virtue became defined by the United States and by New York, simply because that's where the greatest numbers um, of Eastern European Jewish immigrants were living. I, I never thought about that. That, that, that basically it was just adaptations of, of the local cuisines, but done in a kosher way. Is that, I mean, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a cuisine. This is a question for Kasher v. Kasher, but, um, <laughs> but that's exactly what it is. I mean, all Jewish cuisine with the exception, I think someone said of matzah, um, is, is, is exactly that. It is the adaptation of whatever local cuisine there is uh, to adhere to, to the laws of Kashrut. And then from there, it becomes whatever it becomes because it evolves within that context. So in the context of North American Jewish delis, uh, you know, after the post-war period, many more of them uh, stopped becoming kosher. And so you had the emergence of things like the Reuben sandwich, a decidedly trace creation that nevertheless is seen as a staple of the Jewish deli, even though it is in no way kosher um, and religious Jews would never, would never go near it. Right. Uh, But so, so you see it as, as those things, you know, as that cuisine evolves, but that's the place where, where it comes from. That's, that's its Jewishness. And the other element of the Jewishness is it is food that is sort of cooked by Jews or, or served in establishments that identify themselves as Jewish, um, whether their proprietors are Jewish, whether their staff is Jewish or not. Mm-hmm. You visited about 200 delis. Did, did you find a favorite? Uh, you know, I, I found favorites for certain things. So, you know, my favorite pastrami sandwich was at Langer's or my favorite um, kugel was at uh, Kenny and Ziggy's in Houston. Um, uh, you know, my favorite sort of bagel and lox and, and, and smoked salmon thing outside of um, 
outside of you know Russ and Daughters was was at uh, Kenny and Zooks in in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know the the rye bread in Detroit, the double baked rye was was the best, and um, and so you would you'd see that each deli has its strengths and its its weaknesses, its its things that it's known for, and the things that you know uh, it isn't. Even though they all claim to have the best corned beef and the best pastrami, which ninety nine percent of them are using the same supplier so <laughs> right, as it turns out <laughs> so and you wrote in in the book uh save the deli that you wrote which was now i guess uh, seven years ago um you wrote that across north america jewish delicatessens are disappearing faster than chicken fingers at a bar mitzvah do you think that that is still the case or is there has there been a resurgence yeah i mean i you know the, the resurgence is something that that's pretty well established now. When I wrote that, the resurgence, um, which we're seeing now, which you talked about in the first um, episode with visiting Wexler's in, in Los Angeles, which I'm, I've unfortunately yet to visit, um, is now, you know, deep in the throes of um, almost its, uh, you know, starting the beginning of its second decade of this. Um, really in the mid, you know, mid-aughts, I guess, uh, you had this growth of this new generation of Jewish deli, which was going about it in a way that was more focused on the cuisine, less on the nostalgia, um, uh, and, uh, and, and was succeeding with a much younger audience of, uh, of deli lovers, Jewish and non. So it, it's places like Wise Sons in, in, in San Francisco, Mile End in New York, mm-hmm. um, uh, DGS in Washington, D.C., Kaplansky's here in, in Toronto, and, and so on and so forth. There's, uh, you know, at least a dozen of them now, if not more, and, and, and they're in places like Sao Paulo, they're in places like Berlin, they're in places like London. Uh, they're, you know, all of a sudden this became a cuisine that was desirable, um, and and especially for a younger generation who may not have grown up with it, um, it's not something that's you know the nostalgic Woody Allen Times Square gift shop uh, deli that would have opened up in you know the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. Although I think, well, I guess some of the delis that I visited, sort of the newer ones, seem to try to evoke a bit of that nostalgia, and that they seem to be kind of uh, having kind of a, a retro vibe at least. And I, I think it worked. It worked now where the deli was in decline for a long time because eating trends went against it, right? People were avoiding fat. They were avoiding salt. They were avoiding bread. They wanted new. They wanted sort of global. And then... Right. Which is basically, you just described a pastrami sandwich as salt and fat. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> avoiding mustard, avoiding rye. Um, and then really in the beginning of the 2000s, you see as, as the broader food trends, this kind of return to roots cooking, the return to sort of uh, DIY and back to the land cooking, the rise of cuisines that are meat heavy, whether it's places like Animal in Los Angeles where the cooking snout to tail, or, you know, the, the huge growth in Southern barbecue, a brisket, smoked brisket-based cuisine, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the growth of slow food, the growth of pickling. I mean, all this fit into the uh, the natural strengths of the Jewish deli. And so all of a sudden it went from being something that was, you know, perceived as tired or perceived as outdated to being into the sort of center of the zeitgeist. And not just the new Jewish delis that opened at the places that we talked about, but, you know, the legacy places, the the Mannies, the Langers, the, the Katzes, the Carnegies. Suddenly those became, again, you know, relevant and, and desirable and cool. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, thank you, David. Uh, this has been a... Uh a mouth-watering conversation. Cool. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, David. Take care.
Nora Ephron called Langer's pastrami sandwich, quote, in short, a work of art, end quote. The LA Times called the number 19 at Langer's, quote, not only the world's best sandwich, but the most glorious architectural achievement since St. Louis erected that amazing arch, end quote. Langer's is the proud recipient of the coveted James Beard Foundation Award and has been a family business in Los Angeles since 1947. Here's my interview with the amazing owner, Norm Langer, and his daughter, Tricia. So I'm here at Langer's uh, Deli in Los Angeles with Norm and Tricia Langer. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the kind of the history of the place. When did it all begin? How did it all begin? My dad opened up Langer's in June 17, 1947. He originally started in Sydney's Delicatessen on Freeling Heisen Avenue in Newark, New Jersey when he was 12 years old. My grandmother didn't have enough money for his bar mitzvah. So he needed $35 for his bar mitzvah. She got him a job at Sydney's standing on a box selling hot dogs. And that's how he made his bar mitzvah money. That's the way it used to be. Well, that's how <laughs> yeah, it was in those exactly. days. You know, from there, I mean, he grew up grew up in that area. He traveled back and forth to Florida and the Catskill Mountains to make a living as he got older. He eventually moved out to Southern California and opened up a deli in Palm Springs, which he was at for a year. He went to work at Wolushin Silicatessen on Soto Street, and this is back in the 40s. He met my mother there. They got married. He went and did a stint in the Army. Then he opened up a deli on 8th and Irolo, which is right off in Normandy. They were That's where I was born. They were there for a couple of years and came over here in 1947. Wow. And we've remodeled three times and gone from an original 12 seats to 65 seats and now at 135. Amazing. And how would you say that the deli, the menu has changed since since then? I mean, a lot of these things are, have they been around for a long time? Or? Got, we've got a lot of basic Jewish delicatessen items as well as coffee shop and dinner house items. But I am a believer in the area that you're in dictates what items you carry. Now, I'm probably one of the only delis around that doesn't have bologna. I can't sell it. Yeah. I don't sell liverwurst can't give it away. I can't give away knockwurst. So there's certain Jewish deli items I don't have. Gefilte fish is another one. Yeah. Because of the area we're located in, there's no call for it. Yeah. Did there used to be? Was there it? was originally. Oh, yeah. Sure. If we go, if we go back to the you know early '60s, the '50s, and the '40s, there was a big call for it because we had a Jewish population in the area. Yeah. If you look at Los Angeles as a whole, the Jewish population started in East LA. Brooklyn Avenue, Soto Street, in that general area. Boyle Heights. Boyle Heights. Yeah. As, as time went on, uh, it moved into this area, eventually Santa Monica, and now a lot in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. As the migration moved, as it grew. And so, and Tricia, you've been, have, did you just basically grow up in this restaurant? I mean... I grew up helping out on the weekends, but I never knew that I'd be here full time uh-huh. as my occupation. <laughs> so I've now been here 13 years. Wow, full time. And how? And so, do you feel like you now have sort of pastrami coursing through your veins, or? Yeah, sometimes I find myself outside work talking about pastrami and how it's made and what we do, and yeah, kind of blows my mind because I never thought I'd be talking about pastrami the way that I do <laughs> on certain days when. Our, my dad's not here, our manager. Um, I've been taught how to hand cut the pastrami, so there's very few people that know how to do that. Yeah. So on the days when I need to, 
pull my hair back and get back there and do it, I can do it. And on those days I come home and it's, I can smell it permeating through yeah. my skin. I can just feel it. <laughs> yeah. And it's under my nails. What female wants pastrami under her nails? But yeah. I do. I, you know, I, I, I would be in love with a woman yeah. with pastrami under her that's, that's, <laughs> well, that's the first thing I look truthfully, for. Truthfully, my husband said the day he knew, truthfully, the day he knew I was the one was yeah. when he picked me up and said, what'd you do today at work? How was work? And I said, well, we were short and I had to cut pastrami. And he said, that's when he knew. Wow. He said because he knew that I wasn't the kind of girl that didn't roll up her sleeves. Yeah. And the fact that I did said a lot to him. That's amazing. Who knew pastrami would get right. me a husband? <laughs> it gets, uh, it can get you everywhere in this world, pastrami. <laughs> and so originally was the, was the deli, it, was it a mostly Jewish clientele? I mean, is that who it, uh, it mostly yeah, served you, in, in the old days? Yeah, if you go back to the 40s, okay. it was primarily a Jewish clientele that had migrated here from Boyle Heights. Okay. Brooklyn Avenue, Soto Street, in that area. The Westlake MacArthur Park across the street had a recreation area with shuffleboard and tables where the older gentlemen used to play chess. Yeah. And it was very big, and the population was Jewish at that time. Yeah. So, you know, the I think the recreation area lasted probably up until about 20 years ago, and it was a congregation. But as we got into the what do we want to say, late 70s, early 80s, the area became difficult with prostitution, gangs, drug dealers, and so on. It is interesting. It's it's clearly a, um, a standout in this neighborhood in terms of, you know, you look across, you've got like pawn shops and check cashing places and barber shops and things like that. And then you got Langer's Deli. It's definitely a standout. You know, it it the area has become difficult. It's cost me some business. Yeah. As some people just don't want to deal with the area of light. We used to be open from 6.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. during the week and 3 a.m. on the weekend. Yeah. As the years progressed and the area became more difficult, I finally backed it down from 3 o'clock to 1 o'clock and 1 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And I finally decided it's not worth my time. Yeah, so you don't even open at night now. We're open Monday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sunday. I'm curious about sort of what, and I don't know how much you know about this, but sort of the the origins of where all this food came from. Like, what? Why is a pastrami sandwich a, a thought of as a Jewish deli sandwich? That's, if, you go, if you go back in time and there was no refrigeration and no way to preserve food, pastrami pastrami being a salted, smoked product, yeah, you were able to hold it without refrigeration. That is the only answer I can give you. I've done some research further than that. I haven't really come up with too much information. But you've got a lot of, you know, your Jews that came over here from Europe Mm -hmm. that brought a lot of their customs, a lot of their dietary needs, and a lot of these, shall we say, practices with them. But I really haven't gone in depth to research it fully. Sure. Obviously, the number 19, which is your most popular sandwich. I had one yesterday. It's pastrami, coleslaw, Russian dressing, Swiss cheese on rye. Delicious, amazing on sandwich. double baked rye. On hot double baked rye. Please, Pardon, if you're going to quote me. it, please do it properly. <laughs> okay, you're right. <laughs> um, clearly not a not a kosher sandwich. Um, did that when when those? It's for the reformed. Sure, Jews. it's reformed Jews, right? The non-kosher. But was there any resistance, like when those sandwiches got introduced? Was it like did the Jewish clientele say? Very, very, oh, hey, very interesting question. Over the years, you get bored with product, so you start experimenting. Yeah, and that's what my dad did. Huh. That's how the number nineteen came about. 
My mother and dad used to come in every day to work. My, my mother got bored with it. She came up with a pastrami tomato and cream cheese. Sounds terrible. <laughs> it are good flavors that meld and go well together. Yeah. yeah. What about the bread? Now, I read there's something about how when he was going, they, they had the deli in Palm back Springs. In the, back and in the early 40s, my dad opened up the deli in Palm Springs. There were no Jewish bakeries there. It wasn't possible to get double bake. It wasn't possible to get rye bread. Yeah. So he ordered bread from a bakery here in Los Angeles, delivered to him by Greyhound bus every day, and he had to find a way to rejuvenate it. So he took the bread and put it in the oven and rebaked it. Mm. And that's a process we still use today. Wow. The pastrami itself is great. Yeah. The bread, if the bread is no good, makes the pastrami no good. Yeah. So the two items being excellent work well together. Yeah. And that's back where we're at. If you go to New York, and I was back there a few months ago, and uh, I went into to Katz's, Katz's. yeah. And I sat and I talked to a gentleman that owns it now, and we talked and talked. And the biggest problem is they don't have any decent bread. Hmm. They can put a pound of meat on a sandwich, you pick it up, the bread falls apart before you get it to your mouth. Right. So that's been the constant complaint about all the delis back east. Why they don't have decent bread, I don't know. On the other side of the coin, they've got fantastic bagels. They got the bagels. So well, can't go, get the fig- bread right. go figure it out. It, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, huh. you know. And and I told the gentleman from Kansas, you're far better off. Put the pastrami on a plate, give him the bread on the side, because yeah. he can't pick it up. <laughs> That's true. You know, but you know, who am I to tell him? Yeah, well, man's got himself a gold. Li- man's, no, a, man's got himself a gold mine. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, thanks very much. This has been amazing, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Langers. I live in Echo Park, so not far, and I uh, come here uh, fairly regularly for lunch. So I, I thank you so much for considering us, of course, and for interviewing us and allowing us to be part of your podcast. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Okay. Enough coffee. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have a pastrami on white bread with uh, mayonnaise and tomatoes and lettuce. Zach Brooks launched the Midtown Lunch blog in May of 2006, partly as a public service to help other office workers find good lunches in New York City, but mostly as an excuse for him to eat really fattening lunches every day. In January of 2010, he moved to the West Coast, where he now uses the L.A. section of Midtown Lunch as an excuse to get, as he says, even fatter. He's also the host of the amazing podcast, Food is the New Rock, which features musicians talking about food and chefs talking about music. It's totally great, and you should check it out. So, Zach has promoted this controversial theory that the plain pastrami on rye at Langer's is a superior sandwich to their infamous number 19. So we did the only rational thing for two food-loving, food-curious Jews to do. We ate them both. I'm going to get a celery, and um, we're going to do the 19, right? Yeah, are you recording? Yeah, I'm recording now. Yeah. Wait, why do you got to make me look bad? I'm like, <laughs> I, I am like, I'll take the Arnold Palmer, yeah. like a, like an, like a proper Angelino. That's well, that's the and Angelino. You're like, drink. I'm gonna have a celery because that's, that's what the, you drink at Langer's. That's the right thing to drink. Yeah. I, I know how it goes. Do I need to, do I need to change my no, order no. to a Dr. Brown's <laughs> black cherry soda or <laughs> cream soda? It's your call. You can get multiple beverages. Uh, so I think we're gonna do a 19, and then just pastrami. On rye, right? That's that's the real that's, taste test that we're going to do? I mean, do. that's the... Yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh, here they are now. 
All right, so what, should we swap halves? Uh, yeah, we can yeah, swap let's halves. Do yeah, let's do it. Okay. You grab one, I'll grab the other. It is de- there's a height difference already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a height difference. Um, well, you know, it's, I mean, one has more stuff on it's it. It's just got so more stuff. It's, it's just, it's science. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, there's nothing kosher about this sandwich. It's got well, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, it's like, right. I mean, not that authenticity is such a ridiculous word, but it does seem weird that a a Jewish meat sandwich should have cheese on it yeah. as being like the perfect example of that sandwich. Yeah. Now I say that, listen, I say that as someone, I'm telling you, I love meat sandwiches with Swiss cheese yeah. and coleslaw and Russian dressing. It's an amazing thing. I'm not one of the, I'm not crazy. Yeah. But I don't know. There's something about, well, I mean, you'll yeah, let's find see out. for yourself. Right, I'm going to try the I'm going to go plain Jane first. It's hard to eat, and it's hard, this sandwich is so huge, it's hard to hold a microphone and eat at the same time. See if I can. You know we never eat on our podcast? Oh, you never do? Never. Because you don't like you're the sound? Fi- you're, and you're finding out why right yeah, now. Yeah, no, it's a really, a, it seems like a bad idea. <laughs> All right, maybe we'll take a break. We're going to take a break and then report back on the sandwiches, because this is not anything anybody wants to hear. All right, and now we're back. We are. Uh, I'm completely full, totally stuffed from uh, pastrami sandwich and the 19 here at Langer's, which is uh, I may have to burp a little bit. This is why you shouldn't. You know, this is hard. The, the challenges of a food podcast. I'm discovering. Um, it's funny. Like I think 20 minutes is a 30 minutes is a lapse for us. Yeah. But it's only a second. And I'm imagining that, like, on the podcast, a second ago, we were, like, both, like, super animated yeah. and excited. <laughs> now we're like, uh, so we just finished eating. <laughs> and. Yeah. Meat coma. I'm ready for a nap. Yeah. I need, like, an, either an espresso <laughs> or a nap. But I think, I, I think I'm on board with your theory. I mean, listen, like, we both ate both halves. Yeah. I, I went. I went back and forth, bite for bite, yeah. the whole time. Yeah, because there is. I mean, listen. The number nineteen is delicious. It is. You can't argue. It's delicious. I mean, coleslaw is delicious. Yeah, and cheese, Swiss is, cheese delicious. is delicious. It's all yeah. delicious. But I feel like at Langer's, their pastrami is unbelievable. Yeah. Like it is really. You think it's the best in the country? I mean, I th- it's the best I've ever had, I think, consistently. I mean, there's some great other places in L.A. Um, you know, Wexler's and Grand Central Market, you mentioned, and I love that place. Um, and, uh, you know, even Katz's. Like, some people will argue, like, Katz's pastrami and Langer's pastrami are both delicious, yeah. right? They're both great. But then, even if you concede that point, which I don't, but even if you do... The bread at Langer's puts it over the top. The bread, yeah. the rye bread at Langer's is really the best rye bread I've ever had in sandwich form. It is like the ins- it doesn't it's not it, it it's perfectly crunchy on the outside without being toasted or anything stupid like that. Yeah. It is like unbelievably crunchy on the outside but then like pillowy and soft on the inside. It's like the perfect pastrami sandwich bread yeah. there is none better I've never had anything better yeah. and to me it's like if you get that the br- the best bread you've ever had the best pastrami a little bit of mustard like what why would you want to mask any of that with other stuff but I don't know I really want to taste that perfection yeah. and even though the number 19 is delicious I feel like 
coleslaw, Swiss cheese, all that stuff should be put on inferior deli meat. Right. You said turkey would yeah, be. Yeah, turkey or even, even pastrami at just a regular deli, right? Yeah. But I'll tell you, to be honest, uh, the real thing to do is to go with another person, order both, and split them, uh-huh. and then you get the best of both worlds, yeah, yeah. And, which is what we did. <laughs> which is exactly what we and did. And that really, and yeah. Yeah, satisfied not, both cravings. Yeah. Did you, did you grow up eating deli food? Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in Miami, so Miami. yeah. I mean, okay. we definitely, uh, I mean, there was this place called Pumpernickels down the street from our house. They brought out... A little little thing of free pickles and the bread basket, um, which was always delicious. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there were all the great places in Miami Beach, like Wolfie's and yeah, all the classic places. And did you think of deli? Did you think of deli food as Jewish food? Like that's I grew up thinking I'm going to the Jewish deli. I'm having Jewish food. It, it seemed like a Jewy thing to go do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I feel like. I would always get like lox eggs and onions or yeah or like a yeah Jewish deli sandwich right yeah. like pastrami or corned beef or sure. tongue yeah. or rye bread isn't it Jewish you're going to tell me it's, it's not no it is absolutely I mean there's I'm looking down at the menu there's matzo ball <laughs> soup here that is absolutely uh, it's absolutely Jewish I mean I guess the putting the cheese on the meat sandwich does call into question that exactly but, um, well, and that's yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Norm from uh, I mean, from Langers about. Can we have something? No, I know exactly. I yeah, mean, have, I mean, have we no- not suffered <laughs> enough? <laughs> well, like, listen. Didn't they change the Passover rules this year? I know they just changed them. Yeah. So you know, maybe maybe we're inching closer we're, yeah, we're and closer there. towards. Uh, I think they'll finally the day have that a- I can eat lobster without guilt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or pastrami chili cheese fries. How, how could something so delicious be considered so dirty? I know. It's not right. Actually, I do know how that is. Yeah, that's it is dirty. It is. We got really dirty in this lunch. It was gross. It was. I mean, we're covered we in mustard. We just met too. We're looking at each other. We're like, we're well, like, eh, at least we're both. We're both we're doing both it. Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that seems like a good note to end on. Um, thank you, Zach, for uh, joining me here on the Kibitz at uh, Langer's. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, let's go get some toothpicks. <laughs> And now, Zach tells us about his bar mitzvah for a kid walks into a bar. What, what do you remember? My, what do I remember about... You mean besides the uh, Broadway musical theme and me dressing up as uh, the Phantom of the Opera for my entrance? Like, wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty terrible. You do not strike Super me. Embarrassing. Was that your idea or was like your mom really different? <laughs> She's like, I know what we're going to do. Sadly, Broadway I can't musical. blame this on my mom. Unless, wow. it, I mean, my mom introduced me to Broadway musicals, okay. as every good Jewish mom does, sure. uh, through Barbara Streisand. <laughs> um, my mom was a huge Barbara Streisand. Of course, yeah, they all, all like, the eight they track. All She had it on eight they all are oh my god yeah um yeah no i mean i was into broadway musicals i was into you know yeah theater as a kid i went to a theater junior high school oh wow so like all my friends in seventh grade we were in theater together and liked broadway musicals so you know it's uh i'm not proud of it and you and you and now you're a straight man i'm not proud of it my wife my wife still questions she still questions i have an affinity for uh for, for musicals as well. So, yeah. 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 So how did that how did that theme what did it look like at your bar mitzvah? Uh it was, you know, a um it was like one of those theater signs on every table. There was the oh, like a marquee. Uh yeah, like a, they they yeah, like well um yeah, well the uh the 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 t-shirts that we had printed up uh did have a marquee and actually now I'm remembering god I forgot about this. We actually uh, the candle lighting was turned into the Zaki awards. <laughs> Or we handed out 
chocolate statues. Oh my god! Uh, instead of lighting candles, and uh, you know the kids were at the Phantom of the Opera table, obviously, because I yeah. think maybe my parents were at the Les Mis table. Very, okay. very popular gonna, around that time. I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna just go out on a limb here and guess that there was not a Jesus Christ Superstar table. Uh, you know, I uh, listen. It's a great show. I, it's it's a great my favorite. Show. Did you do a number? Uh, no, I mean, aside okay. from like having the DJ play the Phantom of the Opera theme song for my entrance, yeah, and me coming in with the cape and the mask and everything. Oh, really? You did that? Yeah, I did That's that. Amazing. That happened. That and, happened. Wow. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I'm ashamed for sure. Uh, so if you could go not back, so ashamed that I won't talk about it now for yeah. comedy's sake. Sure. But, um, I definitely wouldn't have shown it to my wife before we were married. But you have uh, video of it. Oh yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. Come and she's on, seen now. it. Yeah. You think my parents are going to spend the money on a on a Broadway musical bar mitzvah and then yeah. not <laughs> videotape it? That's craziness. <laughs> so if you uh, if you go could go back now and redo it, what would you uh, how would you change it? What, what um, would your theme be? I would. Uh, I don't think I would change anything except maybe you know telling the girls that I like that I actually like them. Maybe would have been a little more bold on yeah. that front. Yeah. Uh, not that it would have made a difference. I mean, as I said, I had a Broadway musical theme bar mitzvah. <laughs> right, so exactly. Really the girls weren't exactly fawning over you. Yeah, no. Yeah. Except in the uh, the photo we took, where they got the girl on either side of me to kiss me on the cheek for the oh, photo. Nice. You know, as they as they do in the group bar mitzvah photo. I don't yeah. Know if, I didn't think I have one. I didn't get with that. Yeah, that's no. yeah. You had to. That's uh, the photographer offered, and I accepted. And you were like, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you should definitely make. My yeah. friends do that. It's interesting. I, I never thought about this, but it, it seems like shame. It seems like you need to be a little bit shamed at your bar mitzvah, and that's part of like becoming a man. Like the, you have to like look back on it and realize how embarrassing it was, and that's maybe that's part of like getting you into uh, into adulthood. I mean, I'm, I, my theory is that's the point of every Jewish holiday, and right. I mean, that's like. <laughs> It's all, yeah, about shame. it's all about shame. Shame about eating bread. Yeah. Shame about eating at all on Yom yeah. Kippur. I mean, sure. that's it's just all shame. Yeah. How was the food at your at your reception? Um, you know, I, I don't remember. I mean, I I'm pretty sure there were chicken fingers. That's sure. I mean, that's the I don't classic. Re- yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, chicken fingers and French fries. I think were the. Yeah. So you hadn't become like a real foodie. No, and see, that's then. the thing is that people probably will hear this story and think like. Oh, fucking rich kid, like whatever. And we actually weren't even that rich. Like we were pretty like firmly middle class. And I mean, we didn't have like a, you know, sushi bar or shrimp cocktail or any of that sort of like chocolate fountain. Yeah. We didn't have any of that stuff. Yeah. Jay-Z didn't play. No, no. We had no, we had, we had Dave Wood as the DJ. Very famous in Miami. Would you party? Uh, But no, yeah. All the money went towards Broadway musical. Uh, signs uh-huh. and then my cape, uh-huh. my cape and uh, and, and mask. mask. Yeah, do you still have it? And the chocolate statues. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's not forget the chocolate don't, statues. Yeah, those don't those don't come cheap. Yeah, amazing. All right, well, thanks, Zach. Uh, it sounds like an incredible bar mitzvah, <laughs> and uh, really brought you into manhood with style. Uh. Yeah. So, where's your favorite Jewish deli? Email me at kibitzpod at gmail.com or tweet us at kibitzpod and let us know. And thanks for listening to this special episode 6.5 of The Kibitz. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow me at Dan Crane here. And before you lather your pastrami with mayo... 
please consider giving us a review on iTunes. I'd like to thank our guests, David Sachs, Norman Tricia Langer of Langer's Deli, and Zach Brooks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Dan Crane, with help from Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, and David Jargowski. Additional engineering by Brett Morris. Special thanks to David Katz-Nelson, Earwolf, and, as always, Reboot. Our main theme music is courtesy of Nunon Plu. Thanks for checking out the kibitz. Kibitz.